the man, the myth, the legend, Chuck Carswell, is on today's episode of Best Hour of Their Day. And the amount of feedback we've already gotten has been through the roof. And that's because everyone loves them some Chuck Carswell. He has become legendary in the CrossFit world because he is just such an amazing person with tremendous ability to connect with every human being he comes into contact with. He's worked over 500 CrossFit seminars, 500. That's like being on the road every weekend for the last 10 years. Think about that for a second and think about the thousands and thousands of people Chuck has interacted with. I am one of them. I remember when I first met Chuck back in 2008, he was the same person back then that he is today. He's that person that just makes you want to be better. He makes you want to be a better person. And I've been honored to get to know him over the years and to consider him a friend. He was out in California to celebrate my wedding with Roz. And that is something I will always, always be appreciative of when it comes to Chuck Carswell. One of the most important things I've learned from Chuck over the years is how to be more empathetic and how to connect better with other human beings. And something... He always says, we have our meetings at the beginning of every weekend when we get ready for a level one or level two, and he's known to say, ask one more question, dig deeper, get to know these people, and that's how you connect with other human beings. You get to know them on a deeper level. So many of the great coaches we've had on this show have shared similar sentiments, and no doubt they've also learned them from Chuck Carswell. He's not on social media. You're not going to be able to find him on Instagram or Facebook, but he has promised if enough people listen to this episode, he will join the revolution and actually create an Instagram account. So please, as we've asked you to do a couple times, share this podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen, but the word of mouth is what's really helping us take off and we couldn't do it without all of you. As you know, we do this because we love it. We're trying to give back to the community. And every time we get a new follower or every time someone leaves us a new review, it really means a lot to us. Fern and I talk about it all the time. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know if it's working. We don't know, you know what are good statistics, but we know that people are sending us feedback and saying, hey, I implemented that whiteboard brief or I listened to that interview you did with Boz and I took something from it. So... Please give us feedback. This is all about the community, and we are very grateful. And speaking of that, we've learned from you guys, and you guys wanted more from us. We have a website now. Pretty crazy. It's besthouroftheirday.com. It's still a work in progress. I'm slowly, one by one, uploading every podcast there, so we have an archive. But we added something cool. You can download a PDF of 50 questions to ask at the whiteboard. So... You can plug in your email. We're not going to spam you. And you can get 50 questions that you ask at your whiteboard brief. Icebreakers, a way to start a great hour for your members and a great way to make it the best hour of their day. So again, this is a work in progress, but we continue to learn from you. So send us feedback via 
email. You can email me directly, contact at thejasonackerman.com. You can message us on Instagram. As you know, I get back to every message there. Uh, you can just comment on our post. Tell us who you want us to interview, topics you want us to discuss. This has been a real passion project, and it's taking off, and we're loving it. So once again, we couldn't do it without all of you. We're going to dive into this interview with Chuck Carswell. Fern sat down with him, and there's just so much knowledge. Listen to it. Take some notes. More importantly, listen to this amazing human being, and we hope he makes it the best hour of your day. Thanks again for all your support. We're proud to be featuring Chuck Carswell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the best hour of their day. Jason here, and I'm here with the one and only long-awaited <laughs> Chuck Carswell. Um, for those of you who may not know who Chuck Carswell is, you've probably maybe been crossfitting for about maybe 24 hours. If you've been crossfitting for longer than 24 hours and you don't know who Chuck Carswell is, we need to talk. But um, thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, it's a pleasure, man. I've uh, heard you guys are doing great things, and I'm surprised that you called and asked. Oh, you were like the first person on the list, brother. <laughs> we're like, we need Chuck. If we just stopped at Chuck, we'd be we'd be set. So you so you must have had a bunch of people say they didn't want to come if I was yeah, first on tons, the list. People turned us down. Dave turned <laughs> us down, obviously. We're like, oh, I guess we'll go to Chuck. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good to be with you, man. No doubt. Yeah, it's fun. And uh so uh obviously you and I have been friends for a long time, worked on seminar staff, but um, you know, obviously you've been working on seminar staff for 11 yeah yeah 2008 i started and so this is 219 so uh yeah you're talking about 11 years 11 years a long time and then we were talking about this before we came on but you're coming up you're you're edging on to 500 seminars <laughs> i believe according to the numbers i am three away 497 seminars absolutely insane and you're gonna do 498 this weekend and you're going to jump yeah, I'm going to Germany this weekend, and uh, yeah, so within the next two, probably, probably by the time this thing airs, it'll probably be 500, yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, we'll, we're just going to dive right in it. I, I don't think we need to talk, you know, about who Chuck are as well. I think pretty much most people know, but um, I don't think a lot of people know what your background is. You know, like, I think a lot of people see you, and you've been so entrenched in the CrossFit community. It's like, Chuck was the flow at my level one, but I don't know a lot of people know your background. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I um, so I born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, moved to Marietta when I was ten. Went to high school here. Um, went to the University of Georgia. Played a little football. Um, had a little extent beyond college. Um, after that, I got into some public housing work, nonprofit work, and then uh, went into the mortgage business. Uh, did a little bit of that, and uh, then got introduced to training. Um, went to a company and worked with them for small group personal training. And then in 2006, got introduced to uh, the CrossFit, went to my first level one in 2007. And uh, 2008, did two more and started working for CrossFit in 2008. Yeah. What, what was the first company you worked for? Uh, the very first one, I had my own personal training studio, not my studio, but I had a personal training business where I ran around Metro Atlanta with equipment in the back of my car nice that was the first, <laughs> that was the first deal and you nice. talk about madness uh 
Yeah, good experience though. One on one personal training in homes and lugging equipment, destroyed a couple cars and probably ran over a couple folks trying to make it happen too. So yeah, it was it was madness. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then um, I, you and I have talked about this before, and I, I, I I'm curious about it because I do think I kind of see this in in the way you run seminars and stuff. But uh, what what was the nonprofit work work that you did? So I, uh, it started in, um, Miami, Florida. I was there for, uh, public housing work. Um, we did, uh, one of the community centers there, we were responsible for a birthday club and a little bit of training for like job training, that sort of thing. And then I left Miami in 99, came to Georgia and was hoping to get out of that work and try to make some money for my family. And an opportunity came up here in, in Georgia. And so I got right back into it at, uh, Bankhead Courts Community Center. And so, uh, yeah, public housing um, with all of the responsibilities that go with after school tutorial, you know, tutoring, all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I just I think that's when you anytime I've sat down and talked to you and the, and the more and more I get to know you, the more and more that makes sense to me, the more and more that comes out when you teach seminars. And uh, I've always thought that was really cool. But I tell everybody, I think everybody should work nonprofit for some duration. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a, there's a level of experience and compassion that you develop uh, for people. I think that, that, that is rare to get in any other way. So. Yeah. Nonprofit is really, really tough. And I, I think if you, I, I learned a lot about this when I worked nonprofit, but if you lack empathy and that's something you want to try to start to develop nonprofit is an excellent way to kind of cut your teeth on the, in the world of empathy. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it will give you an instant get it factor. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, cool. So then you start across the, or you, so you start across in 2006 and did your first seminar in 2007. Correct. I went uh, to Jupiter, Florida. Uh, when okay. Chris Glassman was still traveling and doing seminars. Uh, Nicole Carroll was there, Annie Sakamoto, uh, Brendan Gilliam, um, Tony uh-huh. Budding, like all the old, old school oh, folks were there. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Those are my OGs. People think, you know, because I've been around for a good bit, people think I'm an OG. No, no, no. There's a, there's an OG level way before me. So, yeah. and so what was, so I took mine in 2008 and I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I remember who was like, I remember one or two people that were there, but I don't remember the course. I think I was just so excited to be there. Like, I don't remember much about the course. Yeah. And mine was very similar. It's like, I look left, look right. It's like everybody I saw on the internet were the people that were instructing and teaching the course. And so for the first hour, I don't think I heard a single solitary word. I was just so enamored with the folks that were there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a classic experience, I think for most. So, um, okay. So then you're coming up on 500 seminars and I think you probably have a pretty good spread between level ones and level twos, right? Yeah, I don't know how many level twos, if they were to tell me, I, I, I don't know that I could, you know, confirm or deny, but it's probably less than 100 level twos, probably. Okay. I, I would think somewhere around in there. And I don't know if that includes what used to be the level, what used to be called this uh, CPC. CPC. Yeah. So it may be it may be less than 100 level twos, but if you include the CPCs, it's probably a third, maybe, maybe a little less. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, so for for anybody who's listening to this who hasn't been around that long, I think the level, I don't remember when the level two got changed, but the the current level two used to be called the coach's prep course, and that was a change after they got rid of the old level two, which was basically just a slaughterhouse. Uh, (laughs) 
That's a great way to describe it. The CP, the CP. Where, where dreams went to die. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, and I hate to laugh about it, but yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, and, and I, that one? Uh, yeah, I went through it. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah. You want me to tell you how I did? I do want to know how you did. <laughs> so the old CPC, you showed up on day one and they gave you some little bit of instruction uh, a little bit of feedback on your coaching and all you did on day two was come in and perform. You had like three opportunities to coach and uh, you know, they would choose a movement generally from the squats, from the presses and from the deadlift. And uh, it was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was expected to be rough. Fortunately for me though, I was emailed the wrong, uh, the wrong manual. I, <laughs> I already thought I was going to basically fail anyway. So I, oh, I literally had great. no expectations and I probably was able to calm down and relax and, uh, and did very, very well. So, yeah. Who, who did your evaluation? So there was Adrian Bosman. There was Nicole Carroll. There was Pat Sherwood and Lisa Ray. And so, you know, you talk OGs, that was like the cream of the crop right there. So that's so, I don't think people, most people understand how nerve wracking that can be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be under the watchful eye of somebody with that much experience, especially in the CrossFit community, and then, you know, you throw on sunglasses on Adrian Bosman sitting down writing your evaluation <laughs> in, in, indoors, which was just, I mean, it was just, I was so petrified, man. But, he was, uh, uh, he, uh, Jay, Jay uh, Ackerman did a uh, podcast with him last week that'll launch probably next week sometime. So, uh, yeah. But he's got some stories too, man. Yeah, yeah. He can he can tell you some stories of things that went well and some stories that probably didn't go well. But yeah. So going back to the slaughterhouse, yeah, we were running about a thirty five percent pass rate uh, at that course, and uh, yeah, some some adjustments just needed to be made. And you know, classic Coach Glassman, we li- he listened to the community and it was like, you you got to help us. And so um, you know, we we changed the format a little bit and obviously made it to level two now and. Uh, I don't, I don't know that it's any better, but at least it seems like it is. So the impression that I get, and I never actually did the old level two, but I'm very familiar with it is that the, the evaluations haven't changed just a little bit of the, the delivery of the feedback and how we kind of, kind of, instead of just jump throwing people in the deep end, we kind of wait out first and we'll slowly <laughs> prepare to do that. But before it was just, Hey, you can eat a swim or you drown right here yeah 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 i think the 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 process it's a perfect description you kind of wade your way into the water so it starts off with a couple of drills and then finally works its way up to you teaching and that's a that's i think probably the best thing about it now is that we don't just throw you into the deep end i i think it was good in the very beginning but i think it was i think many people came to that course just trying to figure out what to do to pass the test and not really try to develop their skill set and if that's the approach you're going to take, you know, it's like you, you may try to say all the right things, but if it, if we get you in a situation that creates some spontaneity or something like that, you, you know, you're, you don't have the skill set to be able to make it happen. And I think that above everything else is what should be learned from any course that you go to. So, no, I agree. Um, so that's, and that's actually like a great segue because I think, you know, people look up to you and a lot of the, the, the guys that have, and, and the ladies that have been around for a long time. And it's hard for some, for some, even myself sometimes to think that that person started just like everybody else. Like you were not a good coach at one time. You didn't really know much about CrossFit or training people. 
but people only see Chuck Carswell with 497 seminars. So that's really hard for people to wrap their brain around. Um, can you talk a little bit about like, what was that process for you when you started and, and, and how did you go about trying to better yourself as a coach? Like, did you see people out? Like, what, like, what were you doing to develop yourself? Yeah. So the very first thing I got to tell you is before I ever got on staff, coach Glassman, you know, as, as the director of the program, essentially almost fired me on my internship. I mean, that's, you know, that's what a lot of people don't know is that I was teaching the air squat at the federal law enforcement training center. And I was, you know, 20 minutes into the squad and he's watching from over on the side, talking with some of the leadership from the law enforcement center. And uh, he just, said excuse me and walked over to my squatch group and was like that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong and turned around and walked out and <laughs> you know just literally just dropped a bomb right there in the center of my circle and uh you know I've, I've told that story multiple times but you know i i think it's important to recognize that you know it it, it it's the feedback component i think uh when you ask me what did i do to develop my skill set it's like you, you have to be willing to take feedback. And it's just that cold turkey. He walked in and said, hey, that's not right. And then stepped out of the circle. And fortunately, what it did is it helped me kind of focus my attention on what he was able to see outside the circle. And so one by one, we were able to make some corrections with him. And then, you know, later on, he obviously gave feedback that, hey, this guy might have some have something to it. I think probably the biggest thing that he might have recognized is, hey, I didn't I didn't collapse and fold my tent and then you know, bail on it. You know, it's like I stuck in there and tried to actually make some level of improvement. And so I think for any trainer, whether you're, you know, five years in or two years in, you know, it's probably a skill to be able to receive feedback, just to internalize the information that's being given to you and not take it offensively, um, take it as an opportunity for improvement and see what you can do with it, you know? And uh, I just wish that, um, that uh, I had gotten that, you know, earlier so what was some of the what was some of the toughest feedback you've ever gotten uh so i sat with pat sherwood and um uh, pat sherwood andrew thompson and nicole carroll one of the first times i got with pat he probably gave me two pages of feedback Uh, i'm not going to tell you all the specifics but i know for a good year i probably had it with me uh andrew thompson probably gave me a good solid page of it and nicole carroll gave me three pages one of the first times she ever gave me feedback and uh a lot of it was regarding the relentlessness piece you know it was i was making improvements but it was just i gave up way too soon and so um so for her, it was probably more of a, a, a prodding and a poke to, to, to challenge people a little bit more and not maybe be so nice in terms of the effort level I was requiring from the athletes I was dealing with. I've always struggled with, uh, I guess not necessarily me personally, but struggled with trying to convey that idea to coaches because it's, it's, it's a fairly abstract idea. It's just like, hey, try harder. I've seen you do this with athletes. You know, I've I've been fortunate enough to watch you run groups and circles and stuff like that. And, you know, I I think what needs to be understood about that is that that relentless piece, like that's an art. It's not something you can just, just be good at, but you know, is there something that you have, are there certain things you figured out about how to be relentless while making that palatable for athletes? Yeah, I think I think the balance is the acknowledgement of improvement. And, uh, you know, we you know, we talk about a lot of the six criteria places like the level two. And one of those things 
you know, the, the correcting phase has to have some level of acknowledgement of improvement. And if you're not doing that, it's like nobody loves being told what they suck at all the dang time. It's like it's it's a requirement for an athlete to get better. It's a requirement for a point guard to, you know, to handle the ball better. It's a requirement for coaches too. If you don't, if you don't get some positive feedback, it's very difficult to keep giving the same level or an even greater level of effort. And so for for the athletes that I've tried to see improvements in their movement, I think it starts with, hey, that was better, but I still think we can get more. And it's like that kind of pat on the back initially is kind of motivating, but at the same time, it allows the trainer an opportunity to continue to press them for better effort and better movement, you know? So, no, I agree. That, that was something that I was not very good at at first. It was just head on, you know, yeah. with, with the athlete. And, and I, I kind of fig- figured out that it's a little bit better to flank people. And, and I've had this, <laughs> and you probably had this before. I mean, I've had, multiple seminars with either like a professional athlete in some other sport who, you know, they just have that look of they're just resistant. Like before anything's happened, they're just resistant. And I've always found it manageable if I can give them some sort of pat on the back first. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I, and once I learned that it was like, okay, let me ease my way into telling, telling you that your squad is awful. We'll get there. But I got to give you something first before that. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, and I, and and you know, I think that I think that acknowledgement of where an athlete is too is 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 has some value. It's like, yeah, you're you're a good athlete. Maybe for somebody who's not great, you're a good athlete. But I'm going to make you even better than that. And then taking a great athlete and finding those one or two little nuggets that can make them even better than where they currently are. I, you know, I don't know anybody that that has a a pursuit of 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 i don't maybe excellence is the right word a pursuit of being better um that wouldn't be willing to hear um uh, an outside voice that's that's capable of recognizing you know the areas that need of some improvement so yeah no i agree um or since we're on this topic obviously you know, you're coming up on 500 seminars, which means you've given a tremendous amount of feedback. So for those of you that don't know, obviously Chuck works at level ones and has been for a long time, at which point we're giving a lot of, you know, instantaneous feedback to the athletes that are moving. Uh, he's also been working at level twos where that's a lot of immediate feedback to coaches that are coaching. <clears throat> but I don't think a lot of people know the level of feedback that, that you've been involved in with regard to your peers and and the red shirts on staff i mean that feedback loop is endless so if you could give somebody who's a new coach who is starting to try to develop their staff because that's tough you know you, you start a gym you're trying to give people feedback on their coaching in order to make them better what would be some kind of do's and don'ts with regard to that Ooh, brother, that's tough. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and sometimes, uh, people disagree with my philosophy, but I think that the philosophy has to come is judged by the person that's actually giving it. And so my philosophy is always to ask, um, you know, how did things go for you? How do you think it went? And what that does for me is it gives me a perspective as to what I really need to address. And, you know, I feel like a trainer that they can, self-assess is probably in a good place and doesn't need 
you know, to necessarily be punched in the face right away. Um, and so they can be kind of steered a little bit where we're in a, a coach that has zero get it factor and is oblivious to anything that went right or went wrong is probably going to need a little bit more direct feedback. So the first thing I would, I would recommend is make, make sure you're on the same ground, if you will, you know, that we both have an understanding of what really happened here. Uh, and then from there, um, I'm a, I'm all about working on one, two, no more than three things. Like that's just anything more than that to me is counterproductive and frustrating for the coach. Um, I would probably give, you know, one actionable real thing, something to possibly consider, and then maybe a little more of a stylistic goal at the end. Like those to me are, are probably the best way to see results because obviously one of them is quantifiable, the actionable piece. Hey, you need to do this. You didn't start the class on time or you didn't end the class on time. Uh, you know, that kind of thing, group management stuff, um, is probably, you know, more actionable as well. Where, where the delivery, the personal, uh, not personal, but the uh, public speaking aspect might be, you could say this a different, slightly different. To me, those are the, the avenues to generally go down with someone. Start small and, um, and then check back in to make sure that they're actually happening. I, I used to be, and I think it's just because we all, we all, like I started under Pat and then with Joe Mo, obviously, and then that was feedback that I got when I first started here. It was like, here's the book of things that you jacked up in six <laughs> minutes. And, uh, and I used to do that to our coaches too. And it was just too much. So, and I've just started doing what you just mentioned recently, like in the level twos is just so that I exactly for the reasons that you said, where I just ask them what they think and I'll just ask mm-hmm. them really quickly. Um, okay. Give yourself a, give the group a real quick evaluation on that, on that and tell me what you think. And more often than not, they're right. Sure. Yeah. So then I can immediately go in and elaborate on that and give them a little, a couple of nuggets. And what it's allowed me to do is really give some targeted one to two pieces of information that will, cause that's the hardest part about giving feedback to coaches is like figuring out like, how do I meet this coach where they're at? Otherwise you could give them the book and it's going to be counterproductive. Sure. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that's a, it's a skill and I will tell you, I probably screwed it up in the beginning uh, without question, but you know, with anything, if you practice and take the honest assessment, there's a chance of you being able to develop. And I think that, you know, that that process is ongoing and I can tell you, you know, even more recently than not, I've, I've blown it a couple of times where I've, where I've not checked in with somebody um, and asked them how they thought they did. And, um, and uh, it didn't go well. You know, the, the other thing that that does to me, the checking in is it allows you the opportunity to maybe motivate and encourage the coach where things did go well, but they don't think they did. It's like, it's like, no, no, no. That was exactly what you, you should have done. The skill set that you displayed right there. Yeah, man. It's like, no, you, I just, I totally disagree with your assessment that you actually crushed that part. And then what it does is it opens the door for me to really discuss the pieces that I kind of want to get across. So, yeah. That's really cool. There, there's a, I don't remember where I got this from, but I, I think it might've been from like a relationship or marriage book that somebody gave me a while back, but I've, I'll try to, this takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of forethought beforehand. Try to avoid using the word you during the feedback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sounds, it sounds kind of easy. It's incredibly difficult because you, what happens is you really have to reevaluate the way you phrase things. Mm-hmm. And 
I found that it inherently kind of starts to help you develop some empathy because once you remove the term you, it's not a you versus me. Now it's an us or we, and you have to start replacing those terms. And then people are more open to the feedback. But I think I didn't realize how much I used the term you when I was giving feedback. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it's almost like you're, you're verbally pointing your finger or you're poking Mm -hmm. the chest and uh, trying to remove that can be really effective. And it makes it less personal is what I found. It makes it more professional. Yeah. Yeah. If you can, whatever it takes for, for it not to become personal is, um, is to me the benefit of the entire experience. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. I might have to steal that one from you. It's tough. It's tough. It's anytime I've, that's been the goal. When I set out to give feedback, I actually have to sit down and really think about the feedback before I can't, I can't just give it off the cuff. Yeah. It's really difficult. Um, okay. So the other thing I wanted to ask you is what are some of the, and you can pick whichever course you want, level one, level two, but you also do a lot of the masters. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see from new coaches that come in and want to get into coaching? Ooh, um, lack of mastery of just the fundamental basics. That is probably one of the most, um, the biggest mistakes I see is that, is that people, sometimes the coaches think that they already know and they're ready to get to the more sexy stuff. And I think that, you know, I've probably Coach Glassman has written, I know he's written an article on that part, um, The Novice's Curse is to try to get to the more sexy stuff. And I think that, you know, in the early days of CrossFit, when I first started, I was afraid to teach some of the more complex movements just because I didn't know and knew that I didn't know. And so um, I think that rush to hurry up and be great is, uh, is, is probably one of the, one of the biggest traps, not only for an athlete, but for, but for coaches. And, and you just have to grind and go through the process, man. You got to know that you suck probably at the beginning and, yeah. uh, you know, you can develop your skill set. I think that that's probably one of the biggest. The other one is the flip side of that, is that there are some that recognize they don't know, but are afraid to try because they don't know. And so, you know, I can't demonstrate a muscle up. I, I don't have a body weight snatch. And so I can't coach the snatch. Well, it's like, that's not really the purpose of this thing. You know, Steve Kerr, who coaches the Golden State Warriors, doesn't dunk basketballs anymore. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He actually coaches athletes that know how to do that. And so I just, I don't know. I feel like, um, I feel like that's, that's probably the second one. The third one is kind of in line with what we just talked about. People just are not willing to get feedback. And it's like, you cannot progress if you don't know how you're doing. And uh, it takes an honest assessment to be able to make that happen. And your clients will give you an assessment, but their assessment is probably somewhat biased as well. You know? Yeah, I would agree. And I, I've been trying to really figure out why that's the case. Um, because I've offered people to come to my gym. Anybody that ever asks, I tell them, yes, yeah, show up to the gym. I'm more than happy to give you feedback. And I don't know if it's an ego thing, uh, but I, I was probably fortunate in the sense that I got feedback whether I liked it or not growing up. So feedback was just something that happened and to me was always normal. You know, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where if you suck, somebody's, somebody's going to tell you. And if you, and if you're crushing it, somebody's going to tell you. And I think people are just afraid to hear that you're not so great at that. Yeah. But that's it to me. I, and you know, your, your sports background with basketball and everything else you've done, mine with football, it probably 
if it didn't start with our family, it probably started in the sport. And, and generally speaking, generally speaking, if you were able to take that kind of feedback from a coach, you probably um, know how to take it, but you've just had a few years away from taking it. And so it might take some getting used to all over again, you know? So. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a tough one. And it's because, I mean, for some people it's devastating. Yeah. It can cause you to want to just pack up and take my ball and go home. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to play this game no more. (laughs) Uh, Well, so that actually, I think that kind of goes into another thing that I kind of wanted to talk to you about and like what I've always felt with you, particularly in your level ones is there's a, there's a real sense of community in that level one. And I know you don't necessarily have an affiliate anymore, but you're in a box. You're back in the box, right? Yeah. 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 I go to an affiliate CrossFit Paragon around uh, about 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes from now. Okay. And then is, has that, have you always just been a a community type guy or is that something you've worked on as, as you've, I wish I could tell you I've worked on it and I wasn't in the beginning, but I, I probably was, um, you know, and I, and I think part of that probably started, um, just in the team atmosphere too, you know, it's like, you know, there's, you know, I don't know, 60 football player, 50, 60 football players on your team. And it's like, you're trying to always be together, um, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, the community experience that I did with the public housing definitely helped with that. I mean, you know, you, you're only going to be as successful as, as many people are as involved in the program. So you kind of have to develop that. Um, I think I've always been that way. And, you know, and it probably came from Coach Glassman, too. You know, he said uh, one of the statements he made at the level one was uh, chasing excellence, that kind of thing. And I, I that really stood out to me. It's like, yeah, you, you know, you're right. You don't I've, I've done the flyer thing, trying to grow my business. I've handed out business cards, I've been to restaurants and all that stuff and literally minimal to, to no response from that. But it just seems like that if you just focus on doing something really good, really, really excellent and uh, providing a good community for folks, it's like, it's hard for people not to want to be a part of that, you know? And um, yeah, I think that's always been kind of a part of me, but, uh, but I've tried to make it more explicit at the level one to be something that we work on because many of the people that come to the seminar may not have been community folks, may not have had that experience. And so for two days, we get a chance to really kind of hone in on and hopefully give them, if not what they've experienced at a box, what they hope to experience from the community going forward. Yeah. We, I don't know if you know this, but we call it Chuck church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes, I'm, sometimes we'll just be sitting in the back and somebody will walk back to the restroom and like, what's Chuck talking I don't know, but it's really good. <laughs> yeah, we've we've blown a couple of level one timelines dealing with Chuck Church too. So <laughs> sometimes we sit in the back and I'm like, man, I wish I knew how we got here. This is a, a rabbit hole. This is really good, but I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> but those, yeah. those, are, those are things I've always appreciated about it, and I think are what actually make the level one a special experience for a lot of people. Yeah, it's uh you know, we, we obviously have an agenda to, to get, to meet and uh, you know, the directors of training have done a really good job honing that in. And, and coach Glassman's probably, you know, because of his Q and A's have wrecked enough level ones. But like you said, it's like, those are the moments that when I think back about my level one and, and the lectures that were given and all that stuff, really what I remember is Q and A and, you know, you know, coach Glassman just talking and, you know, he, you know, his, the way he can dropping an F bomb here or there. And it's like, 
this dude is so real and all he's doing is just talking to us you know it's like man so yeah I, we we seem to get a little bit of feedback for that and people seem to like it and uh you know now now that we've got it to a science where we can make the timeline too it's a good thing so yeah it's always it's always fun to just kind of sit back and enjoy that for a little bit <laughs> um but i want to go back to something you mentioned earlier and it's it's about that chasing ex- excellence. So obviously you've been a, a judge at the Cross State Games for how long? Gosh, man, since two thousand and nine. Yeah, so ten years. Ten years. Okay. So obviously you don't get there without. Yeah, you know, and mostly you do the teams at this point. Yeah. So um, Todd Whitman and I are our head judges there. Um, he pushes me out in front and lets me do all of the announcements to the teams. As far as the uh, standards and all that, he manages the um, the judges and placements and all that stuff, and basically lets me do what I do. So, yeah. So obviously, you don't get to that point without being able to see movement pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you obviously can't judge movement that you can't see, and I I don't know if enough athletes really put enough emphasis on on working on this skill set of seeing movement i think a lot of people just think that if i if i just look at this enough times it'll it'll somehow come to me um which is we both know is not the case Uh, i can stare stare at that all day but if i'm not intentional about what i'm looking at like what did that look like for you like obviously nobody sees well when they first start like how did you start to develop that coach's eye where you can start to you know almost like hear a bad squat and don't necessarily yeah. see it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I'm at that level yet, uh, but uh, here's, here's what I'll tell you. Clearly defined standards help you be able to see. And, you know, when we first started, I think it was Adrian Bosman that was, you know, from the very beginning was the guy that was out front. Dave did a lot. Dave Castro did a lot of, of, you know, expectation standards and what we want to see in the beginning, because it just wasn't, quite as well oiled a machine but I think clearly defined expectations help that and then as a as a coach or a judge looking at movement you got to pick one or two things to look at you can't be trying to see everything you know it's like you know hip crease below the knee and then standing all the way up try not to see anything else in between did they make it to the bottom did they make it to the top and if you start doing that and you see enough repetitions with that kind of scrutiny um, it gets a little bit easier, but I, I tell you, you know, some of the movements happen so fast, things like snatches, double unders and all that, like literally kind of moving the world left and right, just so you can focus on that one, two or three things is like, is the only way you're going to be successful. And I can tell you multiple times where at the games, you know, the crowd would get so freaking loud and I was standing down there trying to count and to communicate with the athlete and it's like i don't know if anybody can hear me i can't hear myself think and oh crap this athlete's in first place and if i screw this up they're not gonna be you know <laughs> that happened to me last year in the final heat with josh bridges when he was doing yeah the, he had the yoke and uh he flew through the pegboard and the thrusters and he got to the yoke and i was judging him and i was like oh he's gonna crush this time like uh-huh. So I was just, you know, at this point, he, all he's doing is a yoke carry. So I'm not saying I'm paying less attention, but I'm just making sure he's covering the distance. But then it gets to the point where the yoke gets heavier and I start looking at my watch and I was like, I don't know if he's going to make it. <laughs> and then I almost shit my pants because 
I was like, do I have the, the, the distance count right? <laughs> from a coaching, from a, from a judge, I was like, he, he had like six minutes to do it. I was like, there's no way he's not going to finish. Sure. And then I was freaking out because I was like, oh my God, if I get this wrong, I'm in deep shit. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that, that ability to kind of go full tunnel vision is super valuable as a coach. But for somebody who, who is new to that, who's in the affiliate is there any suggestions you or kind of tips that you could give them that kind of help them do that? Yeah. The first tip I would give you is put eyes on as much movement as you possibly can before intensity shows up. Mm-hmm. And really like the warm-up time, uh, whether it's general warm-up or specific warm-up, is your opportunity to be able to make that happen because you have no real pressure there. The clock hasn't been three, two, one, go, uh, and the athletes moving. You have you know, a couple of reps, some time, you can move yourself around and you can see how the athletes are going to move before intensity starts. So once you start the watch, you have a reference point that you can lean against from before that should help you, um, you know, be able to assess the movement. But without that, that intention, that attention to detail in the warm up, yeah, bro, it doesn't matter how many reps you see in, in, at speed, you're not going to be able to, you know, to make a correct assessment. And I, and I think that's one of the things, and obviously you've been doing this longer than I have, but that's one of, that's why we harp the warm up and the lesson plan so much to coaches. It, it's, it's almost like cheating. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's honestly what it is. I mean, like for, for the coach, it, that's, ex, that's a perfect description. You are really cheating uh, and getting kind of a sneak peek at the test before you actually put out the exam, you know, and, and that's really uh, to me, one of the things that I could not do without um, as a beginner coach, there was no way I could have been successful if I didn't see how people move prior to them moving at speed. That was just, uh, that, that, yeah, there's no way to make that happen. Yeah. No, it's just, like, it's just so hard. It, eventually I think it does get, I don't want to say easy, but it definitely gets a lot easier to see it. Like once sure. you have reps on your eyes, but at first, I mean, it, it's almost like unfathomable to think that one day you'd be able to see multiple things at the same time yeah. on, multiple, on multiple athletes. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, it's, it's no different from learning how to drive. You know, like the, the first day, it seems like, yeah, I can't even keep the, t- the car on the road. Like it just zigzags back and forth. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> depending on who you are, I mean, you got text message, you got Siri going, the radio going, and two kids in the back. You know, it's like you, you have a better skill set. It doesn't make it perfect, but clearly it's a better skill set. Yeah. Um, the, what's the craziest story you have from the games that you can tell? on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> the craziest story from the game uh you know besides me getting cursed out multiple times <laughs> i think that every, i think that happens to almost everybody who shows. <laughs> the craziest um oh i i tell you one it was the first year and and hopefully i won't get in trouble for this but i think everybody there's probably a video out there somewhere to corroborate it i i um i was so as you said earlier, Todd Whitman and I are the head judges of the games. And one of the first years we had big Bob out there. Um, I was so concerned that the teams weren't going to make it back with big Bob that, you know, I wasn't sure how we were going to do it. And so we had multiple volunteers. Dave gave us a time frame window, you know, classic, you know, Dave Castro, Hey, you got to get it done. And here's the window. And, uh, and I was like, all right, well, so we got multiple bodies, had more bodies than I thought we needed three, two, one, go. They start pushing the bobs and, uh, <laughs> it didn't go well. So they had to go down and back, I believe. 
and they made it down to a certain distance. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, you can see the time. I'm watching my watch. You can see the timeline coming. Oh, shit. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. Just sweating. Yeah. <laughs> so I got on my radio. I told Todd Woodman, I said, Todd, we're not going to make it, brother. We're not going to make it. Get more bodies. <laughs> and so we, we had people that had no business being out on the field that weren't a part of it at all. Trying to, it was like, call folks from the stands. And so... And, you know, of course, Dave is doing the, the same thing, like, you know, that he always does. It's like, God damn it, Chuck, what the <laughs> I mean, you know, I was like, I told you I needed more time. He didn't give a damn. He's like, I wanted this shit done. And so <laughs> it was, uh, um, that's probably one of the craziest. But, uh, you know. I don't, I wish people could see, <laughs> like, the, the particularly now people see the games and yeah. it's just this, it looks like this well-orchestrated machine. And, and probably very similar to the level one at this point. Probably a little bit less chaos in the back uh, of the back of the house for level one, or a lot less. But I don't think people understand, like, how chaotic that can be behind the scenes sometimes. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, obviously part of the reason that Dave probably keeps some of the same people in, you know, in the same role is because, they kind of understand the expectations. Like, you know, yeah. he, Hey, we have a very high standard. And if you're the kind that's going to crack under pressure, this is not for you. If you're the kind that can't take feedback <laughs> given well, and sometimes given in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, you can't do this thing and, and um, you know, no hard feelings, just move on to something else. But, uh, but yeah, it can be really chaotic. The good thing is though, he's honed that thing so well with rehearsal and, and uh, the caliber of people that have, like you said, for the movements, just reps and reps and reps under their belt that now it looks like a well-oiled machine. And right up until sometimes the last minute, they can make quick adjustments and uh, the crew that's on the floor has no problem being able to adapt. Whereas, you know, 2007, eight or nine, it might have been, the world might have imploded. If we were. I think everybody that walks out on the floor now, like, doesn't even expect the plan that we just reviewed to actually be the plan. It's like, this is going to change right now. So I'm just going to be prepared for this to change literally 30 seconds before the yeah. end. Yeah, just be fluid on the scene, man. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you some other cool things. And you didn't ask for this, but I got to, I got to try to leave on a better note with this. Um, I, I got a chance to be a part of Annie Thor's daughter first experience at the, uh, at the CrossFit games. And so at the ranch, at the ranch brother. Yeah. And so she was, you know, Oh, did you judge her on the muscle up workout? Didn't you? Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. And there's a video or something like that out yep. there too. I think an artist has done a painting sketch or something of it. Like anyway, that was a really cool experience because obviously she didn't have any knowledge on that movement and nailed it. Um, Miko Salo that year, you know, that was a cool experience. Um, I've judged Rich. Um, the first year we were at uh, the Home Depot Center doing pistols. Um, that was a really cool experience. Um, and that was way before the judge was supposed to not be seen. You know, he's just supposed to be, yeah. you know, on the scene. And, you know, I was, I think he was doing pistols. And with every one of his reps, I was shooting at him. That kind of <laughs> Some weird thing. I don't know. I had a pencil in my hand and I was just trying to make sure he could, you know, I was counting appropriately or something. I don't know. Oh, um, that's great. I'll, I'll tell you probably the coolest. Um, seen Spiel do some stuff and, you know, and, and uh, when the sandbags were being thrown over the wall, we had a good exchange. But um, probably one of the, my favorite was at regionals and it was um, uh, Matt Frazier. He was you know, his first year, I think on the scene or whatever. And he, you know, there was the snatch one rep max snatch at Reebok. 
And um, pretty cool experience of watching this guy. And one of the reps didn't look like he got below parallel. So I ran over to his judge and yelled nice and loud so that Matt could hear, hey, you need to get his ass below parallel. And the judge is like, all right. And Matt clearly looked and heard it. And so the very next rep, uh, you know, it's his turn to go again or whatever. He snatches, he's hanging out in the bottom of the snatch and he looks left, look right. And finally he and I make eye contact and he just nods his head multiple times. I'm like, yeah, you own that one. So <laughs> he was just sitting I, in the I bottom like way. I like him because he's cocky though. I, I kind of like that. About yeah. Him. Very much so. Uh, yeah. I, I was, he's a good dude, but I, I do like that. About him. <laughs> you, you knew at that moment that there was a, you know, there was something special about him. Without yeah, you're like, you might be somebody one day. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously you've been doing level ones for 11 years. How much has that changed since you've been on staff? Like the, that course? Gosh, the course has changed tremendously um, from, from just the structure and order of how we do things to, uh, to the refinement of the lectures. In the beginning, there were some points of performance and things we had to talk about in movement, but there was very little that was required. I mean, you just gave the lecture and tried to give it as close to what Coach Glassman did as, as, as you could. And then, you know, over the years, there became these specific statements that occasionally had to be said uh, per lecture. And we called it the bolded material. Like it was literally in our manuals. Like we have a manual now. We show up at <laughs> seminar. <laughs> and like literally you have stuff that you need to say. And, um, um, you know, but, but, but even inside of that, um, because we give constant feedback, the flow masters still sit in the back of the room and give feedback. And occasionally when a flow master is leading or giving the lectures, some of the more senior trainers like yourself can be giving feedback to the flow. Like, Hey, you know, this was really good, but there's some other pieces that need to change. So we've standardized a lot, made it the same so that we can pick it up from, you know, Virginia beach, bring it to Atlanta to take it to Iraq or Afghanistan and do it on a base there we can you know it's transportable and what that means for the for the people that are taking it is that regardless of what city you're in you're getting the same information the only thing that's different is you're getting someone else's versions of of chuck church or interactions yeah. with uh, with jason fernandez you know so uh, you said something important there which was you know the for those of you who don't know who haven't taken your level one first go take your level one but the second thing is the flow master and chuck how long have you been a flow for Probably since 2009, so okay. almost, so 10, almost years. 10 years. Yeah. The, the flow master is the person in charge, uh, and it's not uncommon for that person to, to really, not, not just because they think it, that's what they should do, but really ask for genuine feedback to the other, yeah. the, from the other people uh, on staff that, that could be very, very junior to them. And I think that's super important and something that I have really tried to hone and I probably still don't do a good enough job of it. But from a, from a coaching standpoint, I think whether you're a gym owner or a head coach at an affiliate, you have to be open. You can't just be the only one giving feedback. <laughs> yeah, you can't. And, and, and if you're doing that, I can tell you you're tilting the scale already. You know, it's just not you're, – you're, you're not where you need to be. And I'll, I'll, I'll go a step further. Early on, you know, when I, when I started to develop my skill, I'd received feedback from the Adrian Bosmas, the Todd Whitmans, the Lisa Rays, and the Cole Carroll, Dave Castro, all those guys. Pat Sherwood sat me down one time and he said, he said, let me just tell you something. No one gets better being told what they do great all the time. And it was like, huh, that was my window now to start 
you know, okay, great. Yeah. B- applaud Chuck. He did a great job, but now let's talk about how, you know, how this thing could be a little bit better. And yeah. Um, yeah. If you, if you're a coach who can't take feedback, you know, Spiel, I think Chris Spieler said it best. It's quite frankly, you suck. <laughs> we already know you suck, you know? So. Yeah. And, that, and that's always been something that even, even as you get more senior, me personally, like I'll, I will, and it just goes to show the professionalism and the attention to detail of the people that you work with. I'll come off of a lecture or something like that. And I, I will, I'll be feeling, let's just say I'll be feeling good about it. I'm like, you crushed it. I'm like <laughs> best lecture of my life. And, uh, and I'll, and I'll get some really minute feedback and the feedback is largely like, Hey, great lecture, but it could be better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important for everybody to understand is just because it's not, because it's really, really great or it's really, really good doesn't mean there's no room for improvement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, 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 ever, the ever elusive pursuit of excellence is, uh, you know, is one of those things that, you know, you, you'll knock it out of the park sometimes, but you got you to get back up the bat and swing again. Like, you yeah. appreciate what you did last time, but if you're still not pursuing excellence on a daily basis in your class or on your lectures – you know, you're, you're going to get stagnant and you already know if you're stagnant, you're probably getting passed up by somebody who's, who's actually grinding and, and, uh, you know, trying to pursue it. So. Cool. All right. Last thing, brother, I'm going to let you go. Cause I know you're a busy okay. man. You got to get on that plane for Germany. <laughs> <laughs> They're waiting um, on me, brother. <laughs> yeah. For, for those people that are, you know, are thinking about taking the level one, level two, or even revalidating what would, what would Chuck Carswell's advice, what would you want them to walk away from those courses with? You know, forget the test. You got your certificate and all that yeah. stuff. Like you got the credential. What do you actually want them to walk away with? Yeah, I I probably want them to walk away more with the uh, the transfer of culture. Just making sure that you that you understand the culture of what was originally intended with the program. And the cool thing is, is like if you're an affiliate owner, you get a chance to morph that thing into anything that you want. But there's still a core culture of CrossFit that is community based. That is, uh, you know, is in the pursuit of really, really good movement um, and that has a science backed program. And I think that you should walk away feeling really good about our program and be confident enough that it could stand against any other program that's out there because it's rooted and founded in science. And there's a pursuit of mastery of not only your coaching ability, but also of your movement. Yeah. I don't know that there's a better way to end this podcast. <laughs> there's always a better way, bro. We just, we just no, I think that was awesome. Um, I did. I, I was told to ask you if there is a possibility that one day you're going to get a social media handle on Instagram. <laughs> I tell you what, um, you get, you get now. Okay. You, you mentioned that you just started the channel, right? Okay. You get, Five thousand downloads. <laughs> oh shit! Okay. <laughs> when you get five thousand downloads of this podcast, then we'll talk about it. Uh, I'll so make it a reality. Everybody, show. share this with your mom, your dad. <laughs> we need to get the hashtag. Chuck doesn't have IG. He's got to go. <laughs> that'll be that'll be my standard. How about that? Okay, I'll do it. Five K. Done. Yeah, Done. Five K. Put it awesome. down. Uh, hey brother, thank you for your time. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and honestly, from a personal standpoint, thank you for your mentorship over the years. Uh, my, my first ever level one, wearing the red shirt, you were the flow. <laughs> it was in Atlanta, and I was 
so fucking nervous because you floated and you watched the group and I was like, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to do one seminar and get shot. That's it. <laughs> Not even close. It's been real. It's been real. But um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for everything over the years and thanks for everything you've done for the community, you know, helping to make, obviously, gyms out there are the best hour of people's day, man. I think you've been a huge part of the, uh, the CrossFit community in, um, in a major, major way. So thank you. Yeah, well, I appreciate your friendship and your leadership, brother. Anything I can ever do for you, you know where I stand. I appreciate it, my man. All right, guys, if you need uh, to get a hold of Chuck, you'll have to wait until we get 5,000 downloads so you can social media or see him at the level one. So, uh, all right, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Later. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. What an incredible interview with the man, Chuck Carswell. We hope you enjoyed it. Please, again, Leave us a review, share the podcast, whatever you can do. No gesture is too small. We want to continue to give back to this amazing community. And this is how we're doing it through this platform, through the podcast and through our new website, besthouroftheirday.com. Go check it out. Any feedback, any comments you have, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email, message us on Instagram, whatever it takes. We're here for you. We're here to provide for the community, and it starts with you. So thanks again. Enjoy. We'll be back next week with a few more amazing interviews, some conversations between Fern and myself, and we're going to continue to push out podcasts for you guys, for this community. Thanks again. Have a great weekend.